0: hey everyone welcome to the whole health empowerment project podcast i'm your host trisha registered dietitian nutrition coach this podcast is for busy women like you with a desire for achieving better whole health balance in this podcast you'll learn practical tips to get you started motivation to keep you inspired and guest interviews that will empower you to take action come join me in failing forward one tiny step at a time into the journey of health, wellness, and self-care. Let's get started. Welcome back to today's show. In this episode, we will be talking a lot about the time period before menopause occurs When we start to feel and see a noticeable change in our bodies, I don't know if this is happening to any of you, but I wanted to kind of review this because a lot of people that listen to the show are probably somewhere in the 40 ish age range where you're going to start to notice levels like fluctuating hormone levels. And you may start to have like these intermittent periods of hot flashes or irregular periods or night sweats or just mood changes, these fluctuating hormones may also put you at risk weight gain and osteoporosis due to the loss of bone mass that happens with these changing hormone levels. So in today's episode, we're going to really be talking about what's happening in your body during this time. And then also reviewing lifestyle factors that can help ease and manage the symptoms that you're experiencing. So the stage of life that we're talking about is called perimenopause, and it it's the time in your life when your body starts to make a transition towards menopause. So you're not really in menopause yet, and maybe for some of you, like me, I just had a baby a couple of years ago, so. I still feel like I'm probably in my reproductive years, although at 45, that's probably becoming much less likely. This time period can happen at any age, although most women start to report symptoms in their 40s, but it can happen in your late 30s, and it can also be up into your, um, your early 50s. So it really just depends on the individual. And the amount of time that's spent in this time before menopause varies greatly. It can last anywhere from a few months to many years. It just takes as long as your body needs to start to, to make the transition into the menopause stage. This episode, we're just going to really be talking about what's happening in your body with the hormones, the weight gain, the muscle mass, and stress, and that kind of stuff. But I also recognize that there's other symptoms that we talked about in the opening, such as like irritability, irregular periods, vaginal dryness, things like that. I'm not going to talk about it in this show, but certainly if it's something that you're experiencing, you would want to talk to somebody on your medical team to help you with those symptoms and for suggestions that could make that process and those symptoms much more manageable. So during this time of perimenopause, what is happening to our bodies? Have you ever thought that? So I'm going to talk about that today. What is happening to our bodies during this time? We're going to focus on three things that they're all really interconnected. And then we're going to talk about ways to manage these three things. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is fluctuating hormone levels. So I know that we all think, oh, I'm having a hot flash or there's things happening in my body but no one's ever like really broken it down right for you. So during our peak productive years, our hormones fluctuate. That's a really normal thing, but they tend to fluctuate at a rate that's very predictable to our bodies. And again, I'm going to, this isn't my expertise in terms of amount of medical OBGYN or anything like that. So I'm going to just kind of break this down the way that I understand it. So for most of us, we know when our period will happen every month. And again, our our hormone levels fluctuate at a predictable rate. However, as our bodies start to move away from the process of reproducing and more towards the spectrum of menopause, we may notice that our hormones start to fluctuate now at an unpredictable rate which can cause right irregular periods to occur. So I know if I've experienced this, I don't know if any of you have, where I feel like I'm going to get my period and I actually have PMS-like symptoms, but then my period never arrives that month. And then it might be like a couple months before that even happens again, where I get a period. And it's not in any way like it used to be, when I was at a time that I was able to conceive my son. So during perimenopause, the levels of the female hormones, estrogen and progest- progesterone, they start to fluctuate much more erratically than they were before. And that fluctuation and that erratic fluctuation can result in like hot flashes, irregular periods, night sweats, mood changes, irritability, fatigue. Sound familiar to any of you? (laughs) So these fluctuating hormones put us at risk for weight gain and osteoporosis because we start to lose bone mass as we have a decrease in our estrogen levels. So that's the first part is what's happening. We're having these like fluctuating hormones. The second thing that's happening of the three that we're going to talk about today is weight gain. Has anybody noticed that? That's probably the biggest part of all this. I feel like that I hear most people complain about. So weight gain happens during this period and it continues to happen as we go into menopause or it could continue to happen for a variety of reasons that we'll talk about. So during this time, what we've noticed or what research suggests is that there is an increase in ghrelin. So ghrelin acts as like a hunger hormone and it helps like stimulate our appetite. So what we think is happening is that there's an increase in ghrelin. So we're, we're becoming really hungry and then we're having a decrease in leptin and leptin is a hormone that helps control hunger. So these two changes may result for some of us in like an increased desire for like snacking, or like a craving for like fatty or high sugar food items, which tends to be higher in calories. I guess it would be like this craving that we would probably get when we're in our reproductive years, when we feel like we're getting our period. It's kind of like that same, for some of us, that same craving. So those changes of those hormones coupled with, you know, I think just the demands of our life, our home life demands, and then our decrease in activity level, that, in addition, that can all couple together and help lead us to weight gain. The other thing that's happening is, is that many of us hold, many women hold women, you know, you always talk about like apple and pear shapes. So we have women that hold fat in their abdomen, and we have women that hold fat in our hips which is like somebody who's called like a pear. I happen to be a pear, So I've always had my whole life, my weight in my lower body. Okay. So what happens during this particular time is that the fat that's in our, you know, our hips and our thighs, it tends to be a better fat than, um, in terms of health than fat that we hold in our abdomen. So the fat in our hips and thighs, it's usually referred to as subcutaneous fat. And the reason and the purpose for that fat to be there is it helps protect our muscles and our bones. As we transition into this period of perimenopause and then into menopause, what happens though is that we may notice that our waistlines are starting to expand. So maybe you never had... um, like a belly or anything like that, you always felt like it was that you started to really only have fat in your lower, you know, noticeable fat protective in your, in your lower body. So what happens is, is that with these low estrogen levels that are now happening, many women will start to store visceral fat in our abdomen. And that will lead us with like a bigger belly than maybe we previously had. I know that that's happened to me problem it though is that visceral fat is much more harmful than subcutaneous fat because visceral fat um really like just kind of surrounds our organs so that's just not the ideal kind of fat that we want to have but again because of this um low estrogen levels in our body that's kind of what starts to happen in addition to that decline in estrogen levels, we may also start to see an increase in our bad cholesterol. And so that can be really bad as that the weight gain and now having, you know, this visceral fat, all of this can also lead to other complications such as diabetes, heart disease, and then it can also put you at risk and increased risk For some cancers, um, most notably breast and colon cancer. And so the third thing that we're going to talk about that's happening in our bodies during this time is a decrease in muscle mass. So for a lot of us, life is so super busy. We are less active. We have achy joints due to past injuries. We may notice that even though we're eating the same amount of, of food that we normally do, we're continuing to gain weight. Or have you ever been the same weight your whole life and then all of a sudden you start to see that your clothes are fitting tighter? Does any of this sound familiar to you? So this is caused by a decrease in muscle mass. So what's happening during this time Is that we're having an increase in our visceral fat again, related to the low estrogen and the visceral fat is probably somewhere in our bellies. And then we're having a loss of muscle mass that's happening as we age. So this redistribution of fat and muscle mass can result in us looking, um, like we've, like we've gained weight and it may actually cause some weight gain. How is this possible? Well, remember when we talked, we've talked a lot about exercise in the previous episodes um, and this podcast, not a lot, but we've talked about it twice. We've talked about just kind of the recommendations for exercise in episode six. And then we've also talked to Eliza uh, Spencer Nelson in episode 16 about her recommendations in terms of um, strength training and how to build muscle mass, if you want to refer to that. So what happens though with all of us is that with a decrease in muscle mass we will expend less calories at rest. So why is that? Muscle mass that we have helps burn calories at rest and the more muscle mass we have, typically the higher our metabolism is. But as we age and we lose muscle mass and gain more fat, we expend less calories than we normally would. So then this results in a slower metabolism. And maybe we don't even need as many calories throughout the day because we have a redistribution of what our body looks like in terms of fat and muscle mass. This is why you may have always eaten the same amount of calories for most of your life. And then you will notice that like As you start to head into menopause or perimenopause, perimenopause, despite eating the same, you've gained weight. It's not that you're eating more, it's you're probably eating more than your body needs because now you have more fat mass, which doesn't expend as many calories as muscle does. And you have a decrease in muscle. That's why when people talk about BMI, sometimes that drives me crazy because BMI body mass index that we use has no, it doesn't tell us anything about what your body composition is. So for instance, if you're someone who is very active, even, and you have a lot of lean body mass, even if your BMI is high, you have a really protective benefit. If you have, if you have an increase in muscle mass, as opposed to someone who has a normal BMI but has a really high distribution of fat. So BMI doesn't in any way tell us what your distribution of muscle and fat mass is in your body, which as you're starting to realize probably matters, right? So the redistribution of less muscle mass and more fat is why your previously fitting clothes are now tighter. By the time we're in our 40s, we start to really lose body mass. And then the body mass continues, your body muscle mass continues to decline as you go into menopause. And some research suggests that you may lose as much as 20% of your total body mass and density as you enter menopause. And why that matters is, is because the loss of that muscle mass and bone density then puts you at risk for osteoporosis. This is all very scary, isn't it? So what can you do to ease the burden of these changes and help ease the symptoms that you may be experiencing? Well, the good news in this is that there are lifestyle factors that you can do today as you head into perimenopause, or maybe you're in perimenopause now, that will help ease the symptoms of of these things as you then will inevitably go into menopause. So the first thing that you can do to help ease and manage the symptoms of this is a healthy eating regimen. So what does that mean? There's so many recommendations out there. The good thing is, is that the three things we're going to talk about in this part healthy eating, how to build bone mass, and how to manage stress, all of these things are interrelated. And I know you've heard me talk about all of these things in previous episodes. So we'll go in a little bit more in depth today, how this can help manage um, hormones and this time here perimenopause. So the things that you eat can help decrease risk of factors related to hormone changes. So what's related to hormone changes? We're gonna see things like weight gain, osteoporosis, heart disease risk, breast and colon cancer risk, uh, diabetes risk. Those things, right? So what does healthy eating entail? When we talk about eating healthy, what does that mean? It means this. It means eating a diet high in fruits and vegetables and whole grains. Whole grains. I what I would recommend is to try to eat a minimum of three to five servings of fruits or veggies each each day. Why all of those things are important, fruits, veggies, and whole grains, is that these foods are also high in fiber. Fiber helps combat insulin resistance, which decreases your risk for diabetes. So they're connected, um, fruits and veggies help decrease Risk of certain diseases. And it also helps decrease your risk of diabetes. The other thing that fiber does is that fiber allows us to feel full. And remember when I talked about in the beginning that we're having these changes in our appetite and fullness? Remember when I talked about in the beginning about having an increase in the hunger or appetite hormone, and then a decrease in the hormone that controls hunger. Well, fiber can help with this because fiber gives a feeling of society. So fiber gives a feeling of satiety, meaning that you feel full. So that also helps us not to overeat and it kind of helps manage. um, It manages those hormones that are kind of out of whack. Healthy eating also entails getting enough calcium and vitamin D in your diet. So calcium and vitamin D are important as they prevent bone loss and they also help prevent osteoporosis. Bone loss is important because we talked about that previously about a loss of lean body mass. And then also the other thing that's important for a healthy diet is to make sure you get enough calcium in your diet, also okay, let me redo that. Another part of eat, of eating healthy is making sure to get enough calcium and vitamin D in your body. These things, these two things will help prevent any bone loss um, related to these hormonal changes and also decrease risk your risk of osteoporosis. Women under the age of fifty require about, a thousand milligrams of calcium and about 400 to 800 IU's of vitamin D daily. And remember for you to absorb calcium, you also need vitamin D, um, to be present. So a lot of times you'll see like supplements with calcium and vitamin D present. You may also be getting some calcium and vitamin D from the multivitamin that you're, um, that you're taking. So I would just check that label. Um, so what I'm saying is, is again, try to get like at least two servings a day of some kind of calcium rich food. So that could be something like, um, for most people, it tends to be like, um, some kind of milk or cheese or yogurt, ice cream, some non-milk sources include, um, salmon or kale or sardines or some fortified orange juice or fortified breakfast cereal, Some sources of vitamin D would be like fatty fish, like salmon, tuna, mackerel, um, or some fortified milk products and cereals. And you're also going to get vitamin D from the sun exposure in the summer months. Other ways to help through your diet to decrease the symptoms that you may be having related to hormone changes would be limiting the amount of alcohol and caffeine that you have daily. This will help reduce any like hot flashes. And then also this change can also help decrease poor sleep. So too much alcohol in itself can add calories to your daily intake and promote poor sleep schedule and poor sleep in general with the alcohol or too much caffeine has also been associated with weight gain. So again, like that's kind of all interconnected, right? And the last thing that you can do when it comes to healthy eating would be to look at how much you're eating. You may not require as much as you previously did in terms of calorie intake. If you have a much more sedentary lifestyle than you did 10 years ago, then you may not need as many calories as you previously did. Um, Or if you have like that you, you have a body composition where you're not physically active and you have more, you know, more fat mass. Again, fat at rest doesn't burn as many calories, so you may not need the amount of calories that you previously did when you were more active. So what other things can you do to kind of help manage the symptoms of of um? of these hormonal changes that you might be going through and the effects of these changes regular physical activity would be the next thing that we're going to talk about so again i talked about physical activity and how to have a more in-depth look at how to um, make that physical activity a part of your life Um, but what's important here is to have consistent physical activity so this is really important as it helps manage our weight, it helps increase our bone mass, and it also helps decrease like a visceral fat that we may have now gotten or is, is accumulating. Um, the other thing with physical activity is is that like aerobic activity such as like running or walking is really important to help manage the day-to-day stress that we may be undergoing. And the aerobic exercise also helps with weight management. And then increasing strength training is also really important as it helps increase the muscle mass that we have. And remember, we've talked about how increasing your muscle mass results in an increase in your metabolism which raises the amount of calories you require at rest. So typically, if you have more muscle mass, that um, it's much more metabolically active muscle mass than fat. And so then that increases the amount of calories that you can eat every day because your body needs more calories because you have more metabolically active tissue than you would if you have fat mass. I have these like, um, I have these like food models, but one of them is like fat mass and, um, and a muscle mass. And if you ever came into my office, I weigh them both for you and they're both a pound, but you can see the composition of the muscle mass and the, and the fat mass. And it's not, this is none of this is to like have any fat shaming at all, because we do need fat. Fat is essential in our life. We have vitamins um, that only are absorbed when we have fat and fat serves um, in our body it like it it has an activity it, it's it's necessary but when you look at muscle mass and you look at fat mass even though they weigh the same the muscle will be like nice and striated and it's very dense and then you'll look at the fat And even though it weighs a pound, it's bigger, it's squishier. And then you can see that if you were to look at somebody that has more muscle mass, they would probably look much more leaner and more, more, um, more like condensed than if you had that same fat under your skin, it looks just by appearance lumpier and it just looks squishier and you can see that it takes up more space. So Again, regular physical physical activity helps, um, you know, manage, helps increase bone mass. It helps manage weight, and it also helps manage stress, and it decreases that really um, harmful visceral fat that we may find around our waistline. And then the last thing I'm going to talk about today is in terms of how to manage these symptoms is to practice stress reduction. When we are in a constant state of stress, it can lead to chronic inflammation in our bodies. So I feel like a lot of times we hear about inflammation, inflammation. So why is inflammation something that we want to try to um, avoid? So when we are stressed, our bodies release a stress hormone called cortisol and cortisol cortisol can lead to an increase in hunger and desire for high fat food items. It can lead to weight gain, fatigue, and visceral fat storage. so if we're able to practice ways to reduce chronic stress, so this will help us sleep better. It will help us decrease our cortisol levels it will um, help manage our weight. So practicing stress reduction um, is really important because it can, help, it can help combat some of the other symptoms that we may be experiencing related to these hormonal changes. And examples of how to reduce stress include um, trying a physical activity. I think for most of us, walking is probably the most common. So it could be walking and that's more than adequate. Um, I feel like walking kind of gets a bad rap, but I think it's much more than adequate. Um, it could be some kind of yoga. It could be meditation. It could be the adult coloring books, because that will be a way that you can kind of just manage any of that stress that you're feeling. It could be reading, journaling. It could be Tai Chi or even, um, practicing acupuncture. So all of these things are helpful in practicing stress reduction. So as you can see, the lifestyle suggestions that we've talked about, they're all interrelated. And as we change each of those behaviors towards doing something more frequently like eating healthy, um, increasing muscle mass or practicing stress reduction, that these can all help manage the other symptoms that are related to the fluctuating hormones during this time in our lives. For instance, Managing stress with exercise helps decrease cortisol levels and it helps with the dreaded weight gain that I know many of us are afraid that's going to happen to us, but it doesn't have to, that's the thing. So managing the symptoms now will not only allow for promotion of a healthy lifestyle and an ease in the symptoms that we may feel, but it will also help like as we move into menopause, we'll be able to better manage and recognize and recognize the symptoms that we may have. So look at your life and notice if any of these things are happening to you and to your body, and then just try to figure out if there's anything that you think you can do that would maybe help ease the symptoms and just kind of see like where you're at um, and just try to like implement any small changes today that you think that might work to make these symptoms better for you. There's no like right or wrong way to do this. Um, And I would just pick something like really easy that you think you can do, whether it's like, hey, today I'm going to take a 10 minute walk or "Mm, maybe today I'm going to eat a vegetable at lunch. Something as simple as that. Even like a 1% behavior change today can lead to a compounded profound increase in your health over the next year so it's not about like being right or being perfect it's just about starting just just recognize where you're at start to make a change and then you know over time and as you move into menopause all of these things will help manage the symptoms so it's not to a point that it feels so uncontrollable doing something is better than doing nothing at all And I know we've talked about this before, that whole health is not an impossibility, but, you know, only you can make it happen. And I certainly don't have it figured out. And I think I do this podcast as a way to hold me accountable because I know that I can exercise more and that I can build bone mass. Um, So I want you to know that I'm in this with you too. So be kind to yourself and just, again, start where you're at and We'll just kind of continue this mission together, okay? So have a great week, and I'll see you back here next week. If you found value in this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Being a busy woman or mom doesn't mean that we have to give up on our health, wellness, or self care. Together, we can take tiny, imperfect steps towards creating the whole health we desire and deserve. You can find us at wholehealthempower.com or on Instagram at whole Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.